All right, are we just about ready? <clears throat> yes? Yeah, we'll see. Let's have you sing with me, please. Thank you, kind Father, for the blessings of this life. You are indeed a good God, and we bless you. You have made a way where there seemed to be no way. You have opened doors we could not have opened, and you have shut doors in our behalf and spared us some horrors and we thank you. Now grant that we may continue to love you, to live out what we just sang. You are good. Help us to live out your goodness. Sometimes at the Crossroads Church, where I've been privileged to serve as pastor for a decade, uh, I will begin the service by just singing. And uh, a few weeks ago, before I went on sabbatical, this would have been the last Sunday in May, Pentecost Sunday, I started singing this little chorus 
that I learned a few years ago. It's to the tune. Um, what do we normally sing to that? I'll figure it out in a minute. Uh, but we started singing this little chorus, and we couldn't let it go. We just sang it. And, you know, sometimes worship planners say to me, okay, now, how many times will we sing the refrain? I say, I don't know, till we finish with it. <laughs> sometimes it just gets, gets good to you. And um, we, we just carry on, carry on, and carry on, and sing it until, until we're done with it. This little chorus says, Jesus brought me out all right. This is to the tune we sing, uh, What a Mighty God We Serve, to this tune. Da-da-da-da-da, you know that tune, yes? Da-da-da-da-da, ba uh, Any recognition here whatsoever? I'm looking, looking at your faces. Okay, thank you very much. <clears throat> thank you, both of you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and we started singing this, Jesus brought me out all right. Jesus brought me out all right. Brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus brought me out all right. And then we'd admonish each other. Let him bring you out all right. Let him bring you out all right. Bring you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I want to tell you, the saints just took that chorus. And we, we, we just rejoiced. Before the service even officially started, we were, we were in. We were already in. So I'm going to teach you this little chorus. <clears throat> and perhaps it'll get in down in your spirit as well. We sang. Uh, let me put it in the key that won't hurt any of us. Jesus brought me out all right. Jesus brought me out all Into his marvelous light, oh Jesus brought me out. All right, so same tune. What a mighty God we serve. You got it? All right, sing with me. Jesus brought me out. All right, Jesus brought me out. All right. Brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus brought me out all right. Let him bring you out all right. Let him bring you out all right. Bring you out of darkness, bring you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, let him bring you out all right. Oh, Jesus brought me out all right. Jesus brought me darkness into his marvelous light Jesus brought me out all right 
me out of darkness into his marvelous light Jesus brought me out alright Jesus we remember the darkness in which we lived and thought and acted we thank you for delivering us from darkness and bringing us into your marvelous light and we thank you brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light oh Jesus you brought us out alright just sing it again Jesus brought me out all right. Jesus brought me out all right. Brought me out of dark into his marvelous light. The testimony of many of us, isn't it? That Jesus has made something of us. We were living, walking, working, acting in darkness. And he came to see about us and delivered us, brought us out. What a savior. What a savior. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the word of our God, which tonight comes from the gospel of Jesus as Matthew recorded it in the gospel bearing his name, chapter 8. I have been pursuing with you some questions Jesus has raised. John chapter 5 our first time together, Jesus asks an infirmed man, do you want to be well? John chapter 5. Then, in our second time together, Jesus asks his disciples, after they've told him what others have said about Jesus, Jesus asks them this question, but who do you say? I am. Now a third question posed by the Savior to those who follow him. Matthew 8, beginning at verse 23 from the new King James Version of the Scriptures. Now when he, Jesus, 
got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be? that even the winds and the sea obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be. Oh, Jesus, who has delivered us from darkness and brought us into your marvelous light, now grant that we may be delivered from fear and be brought into the confidence which is ours to know because of you. Amen. If you travel even a little bit, you know that most USA high-rise hotels don't have a 13th floor. And it's because of triskaidekaphobia, fear of the number 13. That's an actual thing. Most people live with some level of some type of phobia. In fact, I'm just curious if you'd be willing to admit it. What are some fears represented in this room? Yes, ma'am. Snakes. Yes, yes. Heights. Any others? Claustrophobia. Hair? You're afraid of hair. Losing it or just having it? What? Oh, in your food. Yes. Okay. I've not heard that one. Follicle phobia. Yeah, that's, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Yes, ma'am. Bridges. Yes. I have a cousin who has a fear of well, it's claustrophobia, it's bridges, tunnels. She was in the Hampton Roads Tunnel in Virginia and had a panic attack and stopped her car in the middle of the tunnel, got out, got on the catwalk, walked out to the end of the tunnel and said to the person in the booth there, I, I can't do it. And the person in the booth went in there and got her car and brought her out. Every person has some level of fear. It doesn't make us unable to function, but we all have some phobia of some kind. On this text that I've read, 17th century pastor Matthew Henry wrote, Jesus does not chide them for disturbing him with their prayers, but for disturbing themselves with their fears. Look at that phrase in verse 26 of our text. O you 
of little faith. It occurs five times in the New Testament. And it's both positive and negative, isn't it? These disciples have some faith, so that's positive. He doesn't say, you don't have any faith, you losers. Why are you fearful, O oh, you who have a little faith? The negative side, they have some faith, positive. The negative side is they don't have enough faith to get them through the storm. Kind of sad. But that's us, isn't it? We have some faith. Often we don't have enough faith to actually get us through the storm we're in. At times, I'm a man of great faith. Other times, I have faith, but it's small. Sometimes we are more ruled by our fear than by our faith. So let's dive in and look at this question. Why are you fearful? There's a parallel passage in Mark's gospel which hurts, which hurts even more than this indictment in Matthew 8. And if you still have your Bibles or smart devices open, please go with me to Mark 4. 40. The same story, same event, the stilling of the waters, but in Matthew and Mark 440, Mark recalls Jesus saying this, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And Matthew recalls Jesus saying, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? They've got a modicum of faith. Mark says, and as I recall it, Jesus said, y'all ain't got no faith. Pardon the grammar. Now, as we're navigating life, either our faith is great enough to override our fears, or our fear is going to be so great that it will override our faith. But of this I am certain. I'm going to say this twice. Of this I'm certain. Faith and fear cannot coexist at a high level. Faith and fear cannot coexist at a high level. You can have a little fear and a little faith, but you'll never have great fear and great faith coexisting. That'll never happen. One is going to override the other, and hopefully our faith will override our fears. But we all have some level of fear. Someone has said that the word fear is an acronym. False evidence appearing real. 
I was doing some reading uh, about the Alcoholics Anonymous community, and they have uh, fear as an acronym with a number of ways of seeing it. Frantic efforts to appear recovered. Fighting ego against reality. Fear expressed allows relief. Feelings every alcoholic rejects. Few ever arrive rejoicing. You can take fear and break it down, make it an acronym. The bottom line is Jesus expects that our faith will be greater than our fear, always. In fact, he's rather surprised at the disciples. They have been hanging out with Jesus for probably nearly three years. And he, the Savior, thought that by now, their confidence was high. They were believing in Jesus, and their confidence in him was greater than their fears. And this evening on the boat, it proved not to be true. In fact, they were so afraid, they woke up the sleeping Jesus. I would probably not have done that. I would have probably let him sleep. But they woke him up and said, don't you care? We're, we're dying here. And he rebukes them because this is a faith issue. Don't you believe that I've got all this under control? Wow. What are the fears that sometimes rule you? Fear of the number 13? I overheard someone at the door uh, today uh, say to a guest coming in, um, I, I don't remember the context, it was a very brief exchange, but I heard the person at the door say, well, fingers crossed, and I thought, that's not going to do a thing. <laughs> I, I know this from experience. Crossing your fingers doesn't do anything. That's superstition. What are your fears? Fear of the number 13? Fear of failure? Fear of success? Well, if I do this well, they're going to expect that I do it well every time. That's a lot of pressure. Fear of sickness? Fear of certain individuals, people? Fear of the unknown? Woody Allen, the comedian, filmmaker, said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, wouldn't that be convenient? First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, wife of Franklin Delano, said, do one thing every day that scares you. Confront your fears. What scares you? Some people are scared by the idea of faith. 
if I get very serious about this Christ of the boat, what will I have to give up? I've spoken to, uh, especially people in their 20s, and when they're being very honest, they'll say to me, I, I really want to get serious about Jesus, but I got a lot of things I want to do first. They're afraid that if they get serious about their faith, they won't have a good time. They won't have a good life. And that's, of course, not true. But their fear is Jesus will shut their lives down. And they'll have to be one of those boring Christians. If I move from having little faith, which is what Jesus accuses these disciples of in verse 26, to having great faith, what would that entail exactly? I'm glad you asked. Let's dive in. If I want to move from little faith to great faith, I have to admit my need. I need more faith. I need to learn to trust God. And you might start some experiments where you trust God. For 20 years, I was in an itinerant ministry, made my living on the road. I was not paid a salary by any organization. I was accepting speaking and concert uh, invitations and fulfilling those. And some months were very fat, where I had 20 days of work. I was speaking at a Christian college during the week, maybe two different colleges, two different times during the week. And every Sunday of that month was filled. And there was an occasional weekday where I was speaking at an event. And that month was fat. And there was income. And it was great. And then there were other months that were slim. And I had to learn to trust God for my family's needs. And it was scary. I remember sitting one, I think it was in the month of July, sitting in my home office, and I was working, working on a sermon. And it was a thin month coming up. August had almost nothing in it. I got a phone call, and the gentleman who's voice I did not recognize, said, is this Richard Allen Farmer? And I said, yes. He said, I heard you speak a number of years ago at a conference. He said, I pastor a church in the Carolinas, and I had my summer schedule of speakers all worked out, and someone just dropped out. He said, the third Sunday of next month, I know this is last minute, are you available? He said, I would like you to come in Saturday night. We'll pay your travel expenses, put you in a hotel, and then you minister all day Sunday. He said, now we can only pay a $3,000 honorarium for the day, but you're welcome to bring your products, sell CDs and books. Uh, could you do that? I thought, let me check. Yes. <laughs> and I watched God. As I was learning to trust him, 
I watched him make a way where there seemed to be no way. Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Learn to trust me. If I'm going to move from little faith to great faith, I first have to admit my need. I need more faith. I need to trust God. And when I hung up with that pastor, I just sat back and I said thank you to God. It was going to be a slim month, but that one day just got us through the month of August. Secondly, if I'm going to move from little faith to great faith, I have to admit my need. And these disciples admit that they didn't have great faith. But it would entail my identifying one who could meet my need. The smartest thing they did was to wake up Jesus. And I wouldn't have done it. But they, they went and woke up Jesus. Because in their thinking, we have a need, and the only one we know that can fill, meet this need is Jesus. If I'm going to move from little faith, or in the words of Mark, no faith, to a person of great faith, I have to admit my need, and I have to identify the one who could meet that need. And let me just save you some trouble. The one who could meet your need is Jesus. And it would entail, thirdly, my admitting my need, my identifying the one who could meet that need, and my giving that one whom I've identified a hearing. I offer you Jesus. The same Jesus who in this story said, why are you fearful is available to us today. He is alive, still giving new life to fear-filled people. I fly a lot. When I enter an airplane, I never turn left immediately and go to the cockpit and interview the pilots. I make a right and I go to my seat because I have faith in these pilots, confidence in these pilots. I am, and this may not be correct on my part, I'm assuming they have not been drinking in aviation from bottle to throttle should be at least 12 hours. The pilot should not have had a drink that morning. Best case scenario, he or she should have had a drink last night. 12 hours from bottle to throttle on the airplane. But I never interviewed the pilots. I never asked them if they've been drinking. I never asked to see the maintenance logs of the planes. I assume the plane has been maintained I assume the pilots are fit to fly. And with that confidence slash faith, I make a right turn, go down the aisle, and go to my seat. Now you, do you have confidence in this Jesus? Jesus. 
trustworthy is he? He's with us on the boat, with us in the storm. And I am learning to simply trust him. And it is hard, isn't it? Do I have any witnesses? It's difficult to trust Jesus. Or when we're giving our testimony, yeah, I'm just learning to trust the Lord. Amen, hallelujah. But it's hard. It's hard to trust Jesus. But he's trustworthy. And I am learning. I've been walking with him a long time. I'm learning to trust him. I heard a story about Johnny. Johnny was five years old. And he was in the kitchen watching his mother prepare supper. And she asked him to go into the pantry, it was a walk-in pantry, and get her a can of tomato soup. But Johnny didn't want to go in there alone into that walk-in pantry. And he said, it's dark in there. I'm not going in there. And she said, oh, come on. Finally, she said, it's okay. Jesus will be in the pantry with you. So he said, okay. Walked over the pantry. Slowly opened the door. And it was dark. And he started to leave. And all of a sudden, an idea came to him. And he said, Jesus, if if you're in there, would you hand me a can of tomato soup? (laughs) Isn't that you? Isn't that me? Still not ready to walk in. Still not quite convinced that it's not going to be scary. But the Jesus of the dark pantry, the Jesus of the storm-tossed boat is here today. And he can put our fears to rest. Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? My snide immediate comment is, because I'm human. But I want to be human and trusting. Help me, Jesus. Amen. Our great God, we come to you with our fears, with our concerns, reminding ourselves that you are greater than our phobias. So, Holy One, deliver us, we pray. May we find ourselves Believing more than not. In the mighty name which triumphs over every other name. In the name of him who brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Even Jesus. Amen.